Please take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians. Two more messages in 2 Corinthians. If you're visiting with us, that black Bible in the chair in front of you, go to the back of that and find page 146. 146. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Starting in verse 11 to verse 21. We'll finish up chapter 12 and then chapter 13 uh, next week. Again, 146 in that black Bible. And then chapter 13 next week and then we'll do a Christmas message. I think I might do something in 1 John. And then we're going to do Psalm 16. I think you saw that in your bulletins. And that'll be fun. Uh, it's like, kind of like a New Year's Eve celebration that Sunday. We're going to sing 12 songs. Yeah! That's going to be awesome. That's going to be fun. Message, we're going to have a mess, short message on Psalm 16. We're going to sing 12 songs. We're going to mix it up and everything. It'll be great. You're going to have fun. So, just something for you to look forward to. Kind of like uh, an end of the year type thing, beginning of the new year. So that'll be great. Looking forward to that. Second Corinthians chapter 12, let's start reading verse 11 through 21. I became foolish, but you yourselves compelled me. I should have been commended by you, for I was not inferior to the super apostles, though I'm a nobody. The signs of the apostle were performed among you with all patience by signs and wonders, even deeds of power. And yet, how were you treated inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Oh, forgive me this wrong. For the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek the things that are yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for parents, but parents for children. And I will gladly spend and be spent for your lives. If I love you the more, am I to be loved the less? Be that as it may, I myself did not burden you. Oh, yet, nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit, didn't I? No. Have I not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I've sent to you? Really, have I? I urged Titus and I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk ourselves in the same Holy Spirit in the same steps? Verse 19. For a long time, you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. It is in the presence of God in Christ I speak and all for your edification, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I might find you to be not what I wish, and I may be found by you not to be what you wish. Lust, strife, jealousy, anger, disputes, slanders, gossip, pride, unruliness. Then when I come again, verse 21, my God may humiliate me before you and then I mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. December 7th, it was Thursday, right? Thursday or Friday? 
Friday, there's an article it's titled like this, Attackers Exploit Flaw in GDPR-themed WordPress plugin and hijack websites. So if you're a techie person, this would kind of interest you. If you're not a techie person, you can take a nap. Attackers have been exploiting a security weakness in a GDPR, which stands for General Data Protection Regulation, this of the European Union, uh, weakness in a GDPR compliance plugin for WordPress to seize control of vulnerable websites, according to a blog post by Defiant, which makes WordFence security plugins for the web publishing platform. Importantly, the developer behind the plugin, which is called WP GDPR Compliance, has issued a patch fixing the critical flaw. Now, if left unplugged, the privilege escalation hole enables attackers to take over impacted sites and use them for a range of further villainous actions. This is not merely a hypothetical threat as attackers are found to have been compromising vulnerable websites for around three weeks. So, I just thought it was interesting, this article, and, if you're, and this is about the European Union, so I don't think it will affect any of us here. And that's okay if if you think you, so, your something is, is affected on your computer, it's not going to be affected. It's okay. Uh, but no one in their right mind would believe that exploiting people like these hackers was a display of fondness, love, care, and devotion for those people. Hackers don't care anything about you. <laughs> they will exploit you. If you give them an open door, they will come in. That's why they're called hackers. They don't care, and rightly so. Love and exploit, exploit are contrasting terms. And yet the interesting thing about this is that that's exactly the way Paul used it in this way, in this passage, to sarcastically show that he truly loved the Corinthians. Because you would think, right, Exploiting someone means you're not showing them love. The Corinthians thought that that's what Paul was doing. And yet he was trying to tell them, no, I love you. And yet for the Corinthians are saying, no, he loves us. No, he's trying to exploit us. They got it all wrong. Which is why you see this comparison between boasting in our weakness and boasting in the Lord, this paradox. And here you see this today Love, exploit. And Paul uses this on purpose. Love, exploit. Let me give you some phrases that kind of help define where the message is going. Pastors love God's people. Members love God's pastor. Godly pastors have a gospel love for God's people. Godly members have a gospel love for God's pastor and for each other. This is what this passage is all about. Paul is appealing to them as their apostle, as their pastor. To try and help them to see true pastors, they love God's people and members, they truly love their pastor. Godly pastors have a gospel love for God's people and godly members have a gospel love for God's pastor and for each other. That's how you know the Spirit is working. 
Here's a longer phrase. True pastors lovingly sacrifice themselves for the sake of God's church, even though the church may take it as exploiting them or taking advantage of them. Pastors want a healthy relationship with God's people and want all to grow in the gospel and our faith in Christ. That's what this is all about. Paul had boasted. We looked at that last week. Uh, He confessed it was improper. It was the Corinthians that forced his hand. Why? Because they did not come to his aid. Unfortunately, they gave those opponents a voice to be heard and they should have never done that. They should have backed up Paul big time, but they listened to the voice of fools. Where's the love? Was it only one way? But notice, at stake was the gospel. That's what we see with these, these list of vices that he lists out. Strife, jealousy, uh, impurity, sensuality. These things are, are, are results when the gospel is at stake. Because when the gospel is not central in the focus and Christ is not central in the focus, this is what ends up happening. A lack of love, not just for their pastor Paul, but for each other. When the gospel goes out the window, that reaches havoc, wreaks havoc in the church. So let's walk through this weighty section of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. First, notice, I'll give you titles, each of these verses, section of verses. Notice first how love commends. Love truly commends. Look at what he says here in verse 11. I became foolish, but you yourselves compelled me. They should have stood by him. They themselves were his commendation. They were the demonstration that Christ spoke through Paul. They should have boasted for Paul. They should have rallied his defense. They they should have stood up to these accusations. Instead, no, they gave the loyal opposition a voice. They heard all that foolishness, but they didn't do anything about it. When when people, members, attack their pastor, others, they, they rally around their shepherd and they don't listen. A a true pastor doesn't need to defend himself when those whom he ministers take positive action to defend his integrity against those who question it. He's never perfect. He never will be. As with us all, we're all weak. We all need the gospel. So if or when a pastor defends himself, it means that those who should be supporting and commending him, they're not stepping up. Love commends, he says. And love also admits. And it's interesting how he he does this paradox within the paradox. This paradox he first begins here. He's not inferior and yet he's a nobody. He does this paradox here. This next part of verse 11. I should have been commended by you for I was not inferior to the super apostles even though I'm a nobody. You see that? The paradox. I'm not inferior to these super apostles and yet, I'm a nobody. 
love commends, but love admits, admits that I'm nobody special. But this is how God's using me. He lacked nothing when it came to these super apostles, even though he was a nobody. And, and Paul wasn't just being humble. He was confessing that spiritual gifts are just that. Gifts that come from Christ, the giver, to his church. These are not possessions. It's not mine. Like, this is my domain. We've always done it this way. We've all done it that way. Don't intrude on my ministry, especially when your pastor is trying to shepherd you in a better direction, and yet you chafe. No. He was in no way lacking against these super apostles. They could boast all they wanted, but he was nothing, and so were they, and so are we. We're nothing. We are nobody special. We're just saved by grace. That's where the gospel comes in. The gospel is the thing that judges us all. And notice again, a second type of paradox within the paradox Underneath this, love admits. Love admits I'm not inferior, yet I'm a nobody. Also, there's mighty power, and yet there's humble patience. Verse 12. Signs of the apostle were performed among you. These have been worked or accomplished among them. Interesting how it's structured in the Greek. The third of the three elements is really an elaboration of the first two. That's why I translate it for you like that. Signs and wonders, that is, deeds of power. So, these signs would attest to the apostolic message, but notice he says, with great patience or steadfastness, but with hardships and persecutions. Patience, steadfastness. See, what were the Corinthians all about? Lazzle and dazzle you. That's what they wanted. Appearances. The glitz and the glamour. They wanted the deeds of power, signs, boom, boom, boom. And yet Paul says, yes, these are performed among you by me in my weakness with much patience, with much steadfastness. True signs and wonders were given together with hardships and persecutions. The same rejection that the crucified and risen Lord faced was what a true apostle experiences as he performs the signs and wonders. In other words, he ministers in weakness. He's weak. You have a weak pastor. Got news for you. And yet notice he says, have been worked, have been performed as passive. In that Christ did these deeds of power through Paul. So the signs of, of a true apostle appear only in affliction under the sign of the cross of Christ. The signs came in the context of perseverance, the endurance of suffering, contrary to their thinking. Remember, they're all about the glitz and glamour. They're all about walking by appearance, not by faith. No. As the weak Christ 
lives by the power of God, the weak apostle worked deeds of power in his weakness. In other words, he's nothing but a vehicle to display God's glory. Your pastor's nothing but a vehicle to display God's glory. I am the embodiment of the gospel to you. We are all in this together. The gospel judges us all. So now we uh, uh, come into this part of the principle of that love exploit where Paul uses thick sarcasm. Yes, that's right. Sarcasm is in scripture. This is what he does. Love exploit irony. Do I have this up here? Yes. Notice the first part. I exploit you. Look at verse 13. For in what way were you treated as inferior? Now he's turned it around. Notice. First he says, I'm not inferior. He says, no wait, how have you been treated inferior to the rest of the churches except by this? I myself did not become a burden to you? How have I made you inferior to any of the other churches? They recognized Paul's authority. Did, 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 did Corinth receive less than those other churches? Oh, of course they did. How? In that Paul did not burden the Corinthians financially. Notice the sarcasm. Only I, in that I did not benumb you. That's the word benumb. That's what the word burden. I didn't benumb you. I didn't become overbearing to you by having you pay me. I did not become overbearing to you and wear you out, as I suppose, by you supporting me. He did not accept compensation from them. And look at the sarcasm at the end there, verse 13. Oh, forgive me this wrong. He's being sarcastic. Oh, it was so bad for me not to take your support when I, every, I had every right to take it. See, this is the thing. It was crazy. Paul's trying to show them love, and yet they're like, oh, you're trying to exploit us and take advantage of us, Paul. Oh, you're trying to take advantage of us. You're trying to exploit us. I did not want to become a burden to you, yet I always want it my way because I as your pastor want to take advantage of you and lord it over you, don't I? Because I forget things purposely to deflate and disappoint you, don't I? Because I'm in this for myself to further myself, right? Remember what the Corinthians forgotten? They forgot to consider the source. They forgot about Paul. Paul was not perfect. He was weak, of course. So am I. So are you. We're all weak. And yet I have a vendetta against you. Look what Paul's saying. Hardly. And then notice what he does. No. No, I truly love you. Look at verse 14. For the third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you. He would visit again to try to heal their wounded relationship in spite of the fact that they did not support him, in spite of the fact that they did not commend him as they should have. 
And at this point, Paul directed all his words to the church as a whole. Embraced them as their own apostle, as their pastor. And notice he says, I will not be a burden to you or benumb you, become overbearing to you. Uh, He did not wear out the Corinthians numb and would continue not to do that. He would not take their support. Even though not taking it caused their fears and suspicions of Paul. He wouldn't wear them out with his needs. Yeah, right. And notice the two reasons. Look at what he says there in verse 14. For I do not seek what is yours. I do not seek the things of you, but I seek you. He didn't want their stuff. He wanted them. He wanted their hearts, their affections, their love. He craved their love, their Christian maturity, and their devotion to the Lord, the things every true pastor wants for God's church. You want to know my agenda? That's my agenda. For you, it's always been my agenda. It's not about money per se. It's about people, relationships. That's what it's about. But the Corinthians didn't see that. They thought he was trying to take advantage of them. Think about it. In reference to salvation. Salvation is not about possessing things like adoption, grace, and forgiveness and the like. It's about communion with the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, a pastor is bound to the church, not by economic exchange, but by relationship of love. Salvation is not so much about forgiveness. Salvation is about you get Christ. It's about a relationship. And, And look at the next part, how he describes this Love and how he wants them. The next part there in verse 14, for children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for children. They were the children. He was their parent or their father. He talked about this earlier. Uh, was it in chapter 10? Betroth you. It's like, you're, you're my daughter. I'm going to betroth you to Christ. I want to take you to Jesus. As a father uh, cared for his children, wanted the best for them, and as a father would betroth a daughter to a man, Paul took, took this role with them. This is every pastor's role. And yet, they were acting like rebellious teenagers. He did not want them to think of themselves, uh, think of themselves as his benefactors or, or his patrons so that he would be subject to their generosity as well as their judgments. Paul, we're just being generous to you. So now you've got to do what we say. And the church should not think of their pastor that way. Never. And yet what binds a pastor and a church together is the gospel. And that church is called to obey their pastor, and that pastor and church is called to obey the gospel because the gospel judges us all. 
So don't act like rebellious teenagers. That's what was happening. You're, you're, you're my children. I'm trying to take care of you. Why would I want to try to exploit you? Good parents, true parents, godly parents want the best for their children, don't they? And notice, again, still in this love, exploits, irony principle, I love you more. You love me less? Look at what he says in verse 15. I will gladly spent and be spent for your lives. He would continue to serve them in the gospel without expense to them, though he could and has every right to demand that. And yet the cost to serve them was high. From, from the previous chapter, anxiety, concern, trouble, distress, false accusation, shame, dishonor, that's what came along with pastoring the church of Corinth. Yet he'd do it for their lives. I mean, look at this. He was ready to spend everything for them. He was ready to spend everything on their behalf and to expend himself for them by sacrificing his very life on their behalf. What a challenge this is for us to love each other like Paul of Corinth. Do I love you like this? Do you love me like this? Do you love each other like this? You see the challenge? It goes this way, this way, and this way. Look at what he does. If I love you the more, verse 15, am I to be loved the less? He spent himself for them, even though they're abrupt, unapproachable, aloof from him, but oh, attached to those super apostles. And his question, it it showed their dislike of him was without excuse. There's no explanation for this. He continued to love and minister to them though they loved him less. It seems there was some kind of a personality clash between Paul and Corinth. Something was going on. Whatever it was, Paul saying, you're without excuse. And notice, he goes back to this sarcasm. I exploit you, verse 16. But be that as it may, in other words, it is what it is, I myself did not burden you. But oh, oh, crafty fellow that I am, ain't I? I did a good job deceiving you, didn't I? The sarcasm was running real thick here in this verse. That's right, that's been my agenda. No, he didn't do any of that. But they thought he did. They forgot to consider the source. I mean, look at, look at what he does. <laughs> Verse 17. I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I've sent to you. Have I? I mean, think of it. These guys, he, because they're reading this letter, so these guys that he sent to them, they're standing there right before them, the representatives of the collection for Jerusalem, 
these are the ones that are present as they're reading this letter. Have I used these guys to take advantage of you? This is ridiculous, guys. Come on. And look at what he says the next part. Verse 18. I urged Titus and sent the brother with him. Remember how we looked at this in chapter 8? Titus wanted to go on his own. I urged Titus to go. I sent the other brother. The other brother was Paul's representative. Just talked about in chapter 8. But what's the point? Titus wanted to go on his own. I urged him. So, did Titus try to take advantage of you now? Because I'm using Titus. Because that was what they thought. Oh, Paul's trying to get this collection because he's going to take these guys and he's going to take that money he's going to pocket it for himself because he's such a big, fat jerk. He wants to take advantage of us. That's what they were doing. That's what they really thought. Which is why he says this here, the next part of verse 18. Did we not conduct, really the word is walk, ourselves and it's the word pneuma, which I think contextually is talking about the Holy Spirit. Did we not walk ourselves in the same Holy Spirit in the same steps? Titus's pattern of conduct was Paul's pattern of conduct. We walk in the same Holy Spirit. We walk in the same steps. I'm not trying to take advantage of you. I don't have some vendetta against you. Does not our conduct of the life of faith correspond together? Don't we both love Christ, Titus, this other brother, me? <laughs> he urged them to look at the evidence before them. Church, I'm not against you. I've never been against you. Why do you think that? No, he says. I, I, I want you to grow. Look at verse 19. The whole time, actually it's, it really means the long, for the longest time, or for a long time, you've been thinking we're trying to defend ourselves. They have supposed that Paul and his associates were defending themselves, which is why, so he's failed, he's found wanting. Paul's an imposter. He's a diabolical power monger. Oh, that's what he was. He wronged them. Tensions were high. So who's right? Who are the winners and who's the losers? Paul's the winner and Corn's the losers, right? Wrong. That's not the way it is. Either both win or both would be defeated because the gospel bound them together. Friends, it's not about our hurt feelings. It's always about the gospel. It has to be. Or else we lose sight. Paul's trying to get them to see this. And Paul was all about the gospel, wasn't he? He was all about the gospel. So that he says this, the next part there, verse 19. It is in the presence of God in Christ I speak. That's how it is from the Greek. In the presence of God in Christ I speak. His words are not arbitrary. Mm, I think I'll kind of say this. No. He spoke in Christ. They had forgotten to consider the source. They were stuck on his weaknesses and feebleness and walked by appearances rather than by faith. That's what's happening. 
And so he says this, in the presence of God in Christ, I speak, and notice the last part there, verse 19. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. Look at the tender term that he uses there. Beloved. All of it was for their edification. Not so that he can push his own agenda. He sought their edification. He wanted them to be built up because he loved them. He saw the different weaknesses in their lives. He saw where they could grow. He saw where this should be like this. This should happen like this. Here, 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 here. And yet they thought he's trying to exploit them. Take advantage of them. No. You you see how their contention with Paul really wasn't with Paul. It was with God. They should trust God and the leader that God had given them and move forward. Together, right? Paul wanted to see them grow and develop in in their Christian living as individual Christians and as a covenant community. Growth in faith in Christ. It's not about his vindication. It's not about him, him being vindictive. No. He wanted to strengthen their faith knowing that the way to do that was to expose that loyal opposition and win back the allegiance of the Corinthians to himself as their true apostle and pastor. But really, it was allegiance back to the gospel to God and his justice. We are sinful, and yet Jesus died for our sins and resurrected from the dead. Repent and believe and trust in him. See that God has shown us his grace in Christ. That's the gospel. That's the thing that should be what's central to us in this church throughout everything that we do. That's why if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to see that you should become a Christian. God shows his grace to us in Christ. It's about the gospel. Paul was all about the gospel. And he wanted to strengthen their faith in the gospel. One more point. And a question. One way love? Is my love for you only one way? The Corinthians, they had no gospel love for Paul or for each other. Notice what he says here in verse 20. For I fear. This was his contention with the Corinthians. And he puts it into two explanatory statements, but he has an introductory phrase. How does he introduce it? Like this. I'm afraid. When I come, I may find you to be not what you wish, what I wish, and I may be found by you to be not what you wish. So I may be found not as you want me to be. You may be found what I may not want you to be. Not as he wanted, then he gives the list of vices. Not as they wanted, how? He would display the weakness that they hated and despised. And then notice what he does. The next part, verse 20. That's or last strife jealousy, anger, disputes, slanders, gossip, pride, unruliness. You want to know the problems of Corinth? There you go. 
here were the problems in the Corinthian church, which, quite honestly, those are problems in most churches today. Some of those things, even us, maybe. And yet here in Corinth, it was really, really bad. It was really bad. And it was so bad, it was, I mean, he was concerned, he feared they would apostatize from the gospel. they move away from the gospel. And I put up here uh, some verses for you from 1 Corinthians. Here were the problems. That's his second letter. Paul wrote four letters to Corinth. We have two of them. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 11, verse 12, verse 31, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 8, chapter 11, chapter 14. You can even go into chapter 15. There are so many problems in the Corinthian church. And look at what he says in verse 21. I'm afraid, it, it, it picks up the verb from verse 20. And when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned. What's he saying? What's he talking about? God would humble Paul and he would grieve again like he did last time. Chapter 2. God would humble him in relation to them and he would mourn over those who sinned beforehand and had not repented. Thus, he would have to be bold and severe. That's what they didn't want to see. As far as they were concerned, that was weakness. In other words, God would humble him in relation to them and he would have to display tough, apparent, apostolic love, a love that is not divorced from his authority. That's where chapter 13 comes in. Love mourns and it judges. And notice the sins he lists off here. The second list of vices and not repentant of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they practice. Three sexual transgressions that took place within the church. Here was his pastoral concern. He mourned over the many who had engaged in this immorality and not repented of these sins. And given the nature of his previous letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's probable that these instances of immorality were tolerated, even maybe even celebrated in the church. It's hard to believe this was actually going on. But where legalism abounds, immorality many times abounds with it. They failed to see something. They had failed to see that God's purposes are fulfilled and enjoying the transformed life of the resurrection which is the life of our risen Lord. Through the Spirit, we've been made to share in this life. They've forgotten about the love that God shows us in Christ, the grace of Christ. They've forgotten. And it wasn't the fault of the opponents for these sins of conflict or licentiousness. And not to say that they have not helped promote that. But notice the blame fell on the church as a whole. They, they, they accuse and they judge Paul and yet the gospel judges us all and the gospel was judging them and Paul was about to judge them. And that's what we'll say for next week in chapter 13. 
because that's what we'll see where that tough love will come into play because he'll come visit again. Summon it up. How do we sum it up? Those first three statements. Pastors love God's people. Members love God's pastor. Godly pastors have a gospel love for God's people. Godly members have a gospel love for God's pastor and each other. Remember, it goes this way, it goes this way, and it goes this way amongst us all. And that's what you see. That's what Paul is trying to get them to see. That love comes here to you. That love comes from here this way, and that love comes this way across each other. Or the longer statement I gave to you. True pastors lovingly sacrifice themselves for the sake of God's church, even though the church may take it as exploiting them or taking advantage of them. Pastors want a healthy relationship with God's people and want all to grow in the gospel, our faith in Christ, because what is it always about? What should it always be about? It should always be about the gospel. Always. Always. Remember chapter 8. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is found in our Lord. And so we pray, Father, a challenge to us. We've been challenged, even in the sarcastic irony of Paul. We've been challenged in these ways for me to love your people the way Paul loved Corinth. For your people to love me the way Paul loved Corinth for all of us in your church to love each other the way Paul loved Corinth, the way Jesus loves us, the way you, Father, love us just like you love your Son in that same way. Do that in us. We vie a love for each other, which as John says in his first letter in John. Beloved, God is love. And we know that we're from God if we love one another. Help us. Take these few moments, if you would. Ponder, think, reflect upon what we've seen here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And after a few moments, we'll worship and our giving and sing a couple more songs and do our closing prayer, stop ceasing our service, but let this time, just these few moments, yeah, you only want to give you like a minute to just reflect and just be encouraged and let your mind dwell on the gospel.